Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley, and we talk to leadership thought leaders and draw out practical actions that you can apply to your leadership today. Well, my guest this week is a returner, Commander Yvonne Gray, is uh, on a respite from the Royal New Zealand Navy. And we spoke to her in, in the fall about the challenges of being a female leader in a mostly male world. But one little piece that we left out of that conversation that she's been enthusiastic to, to come back and share was, what's it like to not only be a female leader in that male environment, what's it like to be a gay female leader in that environment? And so Yvonne talks to us about uh, what it was like, her first experience in the Royal Navy in the UK, when she had to hide that fact what it was like to be able to then share that and then what it's been like as a leader to be able to take that as part of her career and support others and also support folks that are dealing with the fact that there's people around them that are gay. I mean, it's something we should all be very conscious and aware of. And she shares some great tips. So here's Vaughn. Well, Commander Vaughn Gray, welcome back. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. And your whereabouts at the moment on your global travels? We are in Adelaide, which is the capital city of South Australia, one of the states in Australia. And you've managed to get a, a permanent wall behind you for temporarily and not uh, leaning across the, the cabin floor of your little um, your van. Yeah, that's right. Yes, we're very fortunate to know some people who live in Adelaide and they've given us their house for 10 days. So we've got We've got proper walls, proper floors, and Wi-Fi. <laughs> so uh, last episode, we didn't have a video version of, so I appreciate the fact that we maybe have a video version of this one, so thanks for doing it. And last time we were talking about the challenges of being a woman in a military man's world, which is more becoming less of a military man's world, and I really appreciate you doing that. But uh, but this time uh, you offered to share about what it's like to be a openly gay leader in a predominantly hetero and probably quite homophobic world. So tell us a little bit about your journey. <laughs> Goodness, where to start? Yeah. Where to start? It, it, it's interesting to um, reflect on it. I think where we are now in the world, I think where we are now in 2021 around um, understanding of diversity and inclusion is very, is very different. And you know, we could talk about how woke everyone is now, or we can talk, um, but I think we've got to recognise, when we talk about our past, we've got to recognise what what the context was at the time. Um, and certainly when I look at my own journey, the context changed over that time. But when I consider where, you know, in the early 90s, I decided to join the Navy. And I think I knew in my heart at that time, I definitely knew in my heart that I was gay, but I was very afraid and probably quite ashamed because it was something that, you know, in that heteronormative world that we lived in that wasn't talked about, or if it was, it was talked about in a very derogatory way. And, you know, and the words that we used about people who were gay was very derogatory. I can't so imagine I think, you ran into many, many gay folk in Harrogate growing up. No, and I, I mean, interestingly, of course, I, I played cricket, and which was a... Uh. <laughs> an interesting game and I love playing cricket but I think there were gay women in that environment but nobody talked about it right. nobody acknowledged it and so all, all that did was reinforce that shame for me because I, I kind of knew that these women were different but 
everyone kind of tiptoes around it and doesn't talk about it. So actually, it just it just kind of made it worse. I knew that there were gay women there, but look how badly they had to live their lives because they couldn't even talk about it. So I joined the Navy, um, which interestingly at the um, Admiralty Interview Board, you actually get specifically asked, you know, are you a lesbian? No, no, never had any of those. No, definitely not. No, it, it just enabled me to hide it even, even more deep, deep, deep inside. I remember that question at my Admiralty Interview Board because I, the guy who asked me it was the stereotype in England in the 80s of a gay guy. Yeah. Uh, that whole effeminate kind of look and the, in the asking you in the eye, uh, you ever have any gay thoughts or uh, you're heterosexual and all this kind of stuff. And it was fascinating to have that. And I think you're right to look back and contextualize that. We're in a very different place to where we were back then. Yeah, we, we absolutely are. And I think perhaps if I was on that journey now, it would definitely be a lot easier. I think this it, that whole environment created some challenge, challenges for me that's taken probably this long to really get my head around. So, you know, join the Navy, very heteronormative environment and very male, and therefore the role of females was quite interesting as well, which we talked about last time. And, uh, you know, and, and it was very hidden in terms of what I was, you know, and I had, I had my boyfriends to prove that I wasn't gay. Um, which probably was very unfair to those particular men. And I do apologise for how I behaved in that respect, um, which is, you know, quite interesting. Uh, and then I met someone and, and that then changed kind of the playing field for me because now I was having to live this double life. So every conversation was in the third person. Everything was hidden you know, any time somebody asked me a question about what was going on in my home life, I had to lie. And and living lies is, you know, it's it's really really tiring. A friend of mine um, does some work around diversity, and she does this exercise with the people that she's working with, actually in the mines in Australia. So it's a diversity um, uh, thing for 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 those people, and um, she she gets them to. She gets one person to volunteer and she asks them questions around who their partner is. And, and in these questions, they're not allowed to give away the gender of their partner. And so she just fires question after question at them. And of course, if you have to think about what you're saying before you say it, you start to come across as hiding something, yeah. which you are. You come across as being nervous. You come across as not being trustworthy. And so you put that person in a work environment or in a leadership environment, and they don't have the same connection with the people around them because they're obviously hiding something. And I think that's something for people now to think about. You know, if you're creating a very, or if you're in a very heteronormative environment and you've got somebody in your environment who comes across as, as hiding something or not quite being there, then perhaps you need to think about them as a person yeah you know they might be hiding something because they might be fearful or they might be shameful around what it is that their life is um, and that will affect them as a leader let's think about them and also think about are you creating an environment that uh, makes it easy for people to be honest and open or are you creating an environment that's because you know, yours back in the 90s in the navy you could not be gay officially no. 
And so the, I, would, I would lose my job. Yeah, the environment was such that you had to hide that. And, you know, what you're talking about is not only the think about what that person may be going through, but also think about are you creating an environment that makes it feel open and welcoming and, and that, like that's something that people could be honest about. Yeah, and and so and what does that environment look like? And I think sometimes we we you know we talk a little bit about rainbow washing. Oh, it's Pride Week, so therefore let's get the rainbow lanyards out. Right, Pride Week's finished. Oh, let's put oh, all of that yeah. away again. You know, but don't underestimate don't underestimate the importance of say a leader wearing that rainbow lanyard all year round, or that pin on their tie all year round, or or having an inclusive space all year round rather than just that one week of pride. Um, And I think if you're, if you are um, gay or trans or questioning or intersex and all of the other, um, the letters that are so important in the LGBTQ environment, if you are any of those things, to see something in your workplace, your environment that speaks to you, speaks volumes, so I think for for leaders, don't don't underestimate the importance of that inclusive and and understanding of the diverse nature of your workforce. Because actually, if somebody feels that they're part of it, they'll probably give a little bit more. Right. Some of the large companies over here are now uh, getting wise to starting affinity groups, and so you know, the, for a while there were female groups that were about female leaders, but there's definitely a, a LGBT. Uh, and allies group and one of the things that's cool about that is the number of people who want to be part of that to make it more welcome and open and uh, and things like that and that's one of the reasons why I keep my uh, preferred pronouns on uh, on all of my um, messaging is because someone shared with me it's not about me it's about making that normative so that the person who has different ones doesn't feel awkward about putting theirs out yeah that that's exactly it it's that I hate to use the word, but it's the normalization of it, yeah. isn't it, really? I mean, I watched a good TED talk the other day. Um, a woman who's involved in diversity is about to go and work for the UN. But she was saying that as a diversity and inclusion manager, she actually wants to she wants to actually get to the point where she hasn't got a job anymore. Yeah. Because it is just it it just is, you know, yeah. that anybody in any any workplace is comfortable with who they are. Everyone else is comfortable with who they are. And so you don't need to be specific about it. But I think that will take quite a lot of time. But I think that if companies work towards it, then they've got to, rec- they should recognise that there is strength in that. There is strength in recognising that not everyone is the same. Yeah. Um, and so you're, you're in the British Navy. You're you're realising or recognising that you're, you're living this lie and managing this this situation, uh, and this is triggered a little bit by finding someone. Yeah, and and it, I mean, interestingly, my my first girlfriend then went off with someone else after I'd gone to sea. So that was a that was a good learning experience as well, disappearing off to sea and finding that you haven't got a girlfriend anymore. So, and and of course, going through that, you know, think about your first heartbreak real heartbreak and then think about who you were able to talk to about it and share that with because that helps doesn't it and then think about being in an environment where you can't talk to anybody I you know I couldn't talk to anybody about that I mean I did 
I remember talking to a, actually a, a junior sailor and, and talking to him about the fact that I, you know, my partner had, had left me and, 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 you know, it was all sort of in the third person. I mean, I think he, he definitely knew actually, and he was, and he was really good because he, he listened to me without judgment and without telling the authorities, which, yeah. you know, is bizarre to think, but, you know, I didn't, he didn't dog me in as it were. Um, and, and that was hard going. So again, again, you know, if somebody's living and is in fear of of telling people about what their life is at the moment, then they become less. They become less, both as a leader and as a team player. So that that was a, an interesting learning experience for me. I think you know, and I think I, I don't. It didn't help me progress in terms of being out, but it certainly you know it built that resilience and you know. It helped me in that respect, I think. And so I've, I then got got someone else, and um, as it were, uh, and and still living that life was really difficult. And then in 2000, the rules changed, right? And so the rules were that you could now you could now be out, you could be gay, and you weren't going to lose your life. And I was the executive officer, so I was the second in command of a ship at that time. And I remember the CO called me, the commanding officer called me into his cabin which is his office on board where he lived and and said he 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 had the official signal that had come from the admiralty you know that this rule was changing we hadn't had a heads up about it prior to that and he's and he said right we're gonna we've got a challenge we've got a problem on our hands because they've just changed the rules and I don't think the the sailors are going to be very happy about this now (laughs) it was an all-male ship as well so I was the only female on board I was the second in command the only female and he said, right, you're going to have to go and tell the sailors about this. Right. And, and part of me was thinking, oh, God, you know, how am I going to handle this? And then the other part of me was going, you pee. Yeah. <laughs> finally, you know, and, and that re- kind of like a relief. And, um, and I actually came out to my boss at that, at that time and said, you know, this is really quite important for me because I am gay. And he, and he said, well, I kind of I knew that, but. Yeah, we don't talk about right. it. Yeah, and then we can talk about it. And in fact, actually, not that long after, we, me and my then girlfriend got invited to his house for dinner, along with another guy from the ship and his wife. And, and that was the first time in that kind of work environment that I was able to be who I was with my partner. Right. Something that, you know, I guess you and your wife have always had that you mm-hmm. could be invited as a couple, that you didn't have to hide away. And so to be suddenly part of that club was was just awesome was was and was amazing um and I remember thinking at the time god that's so forward thinking of him well it should have been (laughs) so it's interesting at that time because it it, was there a part of you that said should I be cautious about this because maybe they'll change their mind the next government or something like that uh, th- there was a little bit, a little bit of that. I mean, interestingly, the the reason why it changed was because they, some a group of um, people in the who had been in the navy had been kicked out of the navy in a quite shameful way. I mean, the way that they used to kick people out was really, really quite horrible, and they had gone to the um, European Court of Human Rights. One of the reasons why I think it's so important that Britain remained within Europe. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Side. Uh, and and that it was that that forced the change in the legislation. So I don't think I was fearful that it would change, but I was fearful that 
of, of still being out. You know, I think you in, when you've got that much internalised homophobia in yourself, when you've got that much shame around yeah. being gay and not being able to talk about it out loud, that takes a while. You know, rules can change, but it still takes quite a while for a person to change or, or the culture of an organisation to change. You know, the, the rules change, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the derogatory language that is used around gay people changes. Well, even no, the response no, of your no. captain is kind of interesting, isn't it? That if, if you're saying this is kind of good because, by the way, I'm gay, you need to address it. Yeah, we knew that. Uh, and yet no no point had a conversation ever been able to be had prior because of both the technicalities of that and the discomfort of even broaching that subject. Yeah, I think so. And, and then, of course, think about how that would make me feel. He's my boss. He's supposed to be helping me out. And yet won't I can't talk to him about something and he won't talk to me about something. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know if that's indicative of, of that particular organization, but not about five years later, I remember I um, was going to a new posting and I was working for a Commodore. So that's quite high. That's a sort of, um, Brigadier General yep. equivalent. Um, and nice he, translation. And I had a, Pardon? Nice translation yeah, on the nice fly. Translation. Just wait there. And I haven't, I haven't lost it. Uh, and uh, I remember at my joining interview with him, he talked to me about his family and he talked to me about how he was a Christian. And he talked to me how um, in his when, when he was younger, he, he and his wife had had a child and the child had died and how important it was to him mm-hmm. and how it really um made him approach life in a way because of this thing that had happened to him. And that was the probably the first time in my naval career that somebody had somebody higher than me, somebody who was a leader for me, talked to me about the, their drivers in terms of his drivers was his family life. Nobody had ever had that conversation with me before. And it was really enlightening because it made me understand that actually as a leader, I should able to have that conversation right. as well I should be able to talk to someone about what what my why was you know we talk about Simon Sinek's you know what's your why yeah. actually that importance of that home life and who my wife is it it kind of it was a light bulb moment for me and I think that so that was in 2005 so that was five years after the rules had changed and that was when I finally understood and was able to talk about who I was across the whole spectrum. I mean, I'm, I'm gay, but it's not the only thing about me. Yeah, yeah. But, but, it, but, but it's you pretty... could be authentic. I definitely could be authentic. Yeah. It's and, and, and this guy, Commodore Richards, painted that picture for me. He painted a picture of what it was to be authentic in his leadership because mm-hmm. of he was able to speak about the whole piece. And... And that was really good for me because it it allowed me, it gave me the permission to also be like that. Because if this Commodore could do it, then I could do it as well. And I, and I think from that point on, I've always been open about who I am and about, so Sharon is my wife and about Sharon and, and, and our life together. And I think I would like to think that um, I set an example to the people that worked for me in terms of um, that openness. Right. So if I, if I, and I appreciate that, if I go back to, you've spent this time in the Navy being somewhat inauthentic, 
And so that turmoil was a lot internal because you're having to manage this situation all on your own. And then one day happens and they flip the rules and now you don't have to manage that anymore, but you probably have to manage the external reaction to your authenticity. Yeah, because how many times do you want to come out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and, that's, and that's what's interesting. You know, you talk to anyone from sort of my part of the community and you have to choose to come out every time, almost every time you have a conversation with anybody, yeah. whether the workplace or not. You know, if I if I went to a meeting and, you know, these people, people in this meeting, I might never meet again. But one of them says to me, oh, so what does your husband do? do at that point, do I do I out myself and say, oh, you know, my wife is a, a police driving instructor or do I say nothing or do I dodge the question? You know, even when it was allowed, do I make and this is interesting. Do I make that person feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Now that I shouldn't be thinking it like that, but I, I think I did. You know, do I make someone else feel uncomfortable by coming out, or do I just be be who I am and and actually it's their problem rather than my problem? So well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because remember where I was framing it, it's what you went from all the inner turmoil and you were dealing with it, then you could be open and it was everybody else's issue, but even then, it was an inner conflict as to whether you put this on other people or not. That's it. And, and you you talk to anyone from who is, is gay or trans, you know, or, or any of the other, the other things, that it's a choice every time you have a, com- a conversation. And so I think that's perhaps something for leaders to be aware of, is that the importance of that open environment, such that people can have that those open co- and honest conversations, because, yeah. because, other, because it's stressful. It's stressful thinking, are you going to react badly if I tell you that I'm gay? Mm-hmm. I- I'm pretty sure you don't have to have that conversation whenever you talk about your wife. I was well, just might- thinking, I, I've, I'm yet to come out as hetero to anybody. So uh, I have managed to get through 55 years without having to do that. And, and you know, I, that's just a, a privilege in this society. And what you're talking about is somebody may be having to do that every time they have a social conversation indeed and and i think you know i'm hearing we're hearing a lot at the moment of of some of some people in the world feeling that the woke society has gone a little bit too far and you know this political correctness gone mad actually what we're talking about is just have some good manners and just be aware that not everyone has got the ease of life that you have so perhaps just acknowledge that the reason why people are rising up and talking is because actually where they are, where they're sat and what they see is not the same as you. Yeah. And And, and actually that's just good manners. And it's the manners of being aware enough to change your language. I mean, one of the things I know I'm trying to build into mine is referring to significant other rather than any other, you know, I I may say wife because I've been married to a fine woman for 30 years now. And, but they, you, if you say significant other, it leaves it open for the the breadth of you know, married, not hetero, homo, whatever there may be in there. That, yeah, that and 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 that you talked about the pronouns before. The use of the pronoun they works so well. Yeah, it you does. Know, apart from in Microsoft Word. Well, indeed, uh, you know, and and the um, 
the grammar pedants amongst us, you know, still find it difficult. But, yeah. but really, it doesn't it doesn't hurt, does it? Mm -hmm. It doesn't to change your language. I mean, I remember when I first joined the Navy and for a long time in the Royal Navy, all of the books of reference. So the, where you go to to get the rules or the guidelines always used the pronoun his or he. Yep. So a commanding officer was always a him. That's, and, and, but then there was a, and then there we introduced a subnote. When we use the word he, we are of course referring to he and she. But no, you're not. Yeah. And, and you know, and certainly as a junior officer, I knew that I was never going to be a commanding officer because um, they're always he's, and I'm not a he. Mm -hmm. Actually, if we change his or her or his and her sometimes to they. That works really well. Yeah. And it's so minor. And that's where I think, you know, some parts, certainly some people I know, oh, this is ridiculous. Fancy having to change to they. It's not ridiculous. It's no more ridiculous than saying he is referring to both women and men. No, it's yeah. not. Otherwise, we could <laughs> change everything to she. How would you feel if we changed it all to she? Now you're being ridiculous. You know, so I think that that pronoun is so minor and yet for some people it is so important and I think that's maybe it is the is be aware that all of those little things you know there's a cumulative effect which creates acceptance mm -hmm. yeah I think I, I love the way you framed it it's just be respectful of people and that respectful is treat people how they would like you to treat them <laughs> in some way. It's basic golden yeah. rule stuff so um, you know, there's a lot of resources, uh, and I'm not going to dive into the resources that are available for, for people who are struggling with coming out and things like that. The, the essence of this podcast is trying to give leaders practical ideas. And uh, what advice would you give a leader that's maybe uh, trying to create the environment to make it more friendly or is recognizing some of his or her shortcomings, their shortcomings in, um, in, recognizing this environment what, what kind of things would you suggest they could build into their work other than some of the ones we've suggested like using they um I, th I think just to build up your awareness of who else is in the world so whether that's um listening to some some podcasts I mean obviously this leadership one's a really good one but you know some there's some other great podcasts out out there um there's if I can there's a yeah. there's a podcast called Homo Sapiens. It's um, hosted by Chris Sweeney and Alan Cumming, the actor. Mm -hmm. um, Chris Sweeney's a director, and and they talk of a range of subjects. And they and in that LGBTQI plus community, and and I think it's really good resource for straight people to listen yeah. to, cis straight people to listen to, because actually it gives you a point of view that perhaps you'd not considered before. And, and I have learned quite a lot about the trans community by listening to that and, and understanding where they're coming from. Because just because I'm part of the LGBTQI uh, community doesn't mean I necessarily have affinity or understand the other people in that. And I've, I've found it important to understand what it is that they're going through because it's not the same as what I go through. Some similarities, but different. So I think as a leader, perhaps, to reach out to some of those resources where you might find out about things that are different to you is, is important. There's plenty of books on this subject. As I say, there's podcasts available and perhaps just getting around and talking to your workforce about what it is that they need. And I, this 
you know, that listening ear, that hear, to actually hear what your people are saying, actually probably would be most beneficial. Right. Because unless you understand, until you understand who is in your workforce, how can you possibly make sure that you're giving them what they need? So it's a, you're saying the same thing as we're hearing a lot over here at the moment, uh, in particular about race, is that the more you understand about what's gone on and the history and everything else, the easier it is for you to approach and deal with and, and realize the situation. And you're saying the same thing. The more you understand about what uh, people have gone through historically, and this goes back uh, thousands and thousands of years that we've had, uh, in some cases openly, in some cases not, um, the more they understand about that, the better. And yeah. even down to, you know, we had our names on our list for a, a while now with the local LGBT organization that uh, to be standing parents. And, and it's something I'd never thought of in my life before because I've always had parents who would show up at events that I needed them to show up at. And there's a, a challenge with especially teenage kids that come out and then get rejected, that they have yeah. nobody at all the events that everybody else has parents at. Yeah, and and uh, that thing of holy cow, and all it would take is for me to go there and applaud, and that would be fill a gap and a void, not completely, but fill a little bit of a void for these people. Then we yeah. can do that. Yeah, exactly, and and I think I think the 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 real challenges that the gay community, and I use that specifically, the gay community went through in the eighties and nineties is kind of echoed by what the trans community is going through now. And so I think to be an ally of the trans community and, of, you know, of that 12-year-old kid who really is questioning who they are, for somebody to listen to that person, somebody, as you say, go and clap them on at the sidelines of the footy, you know, actually that that probably is quite, um, is, is valuable, is incredibly valuable. And so I think for that leader to understand what's going on, to, to not assume, don't assume that you understand what's going on. Go right. and have that conversation with somebody. You know, assumption is the mother of it. You know, we know. So yeah. you know, go and have the conversation. There's a great movie that um, is based in the around the miners' strike in the UK in the in the 80s called Pride over here, uh, yeah. and um, that's that's another one that is good for showing how when you get to know each other. It's amazing how people can come together because we are 90%, 99% alike, and we get focused on, on these silly little differences that uh, are, are important to recognise, but we shouldn't shouldn't be holding us up. No, I, yeah, exactly. As I, you know, as I said, you know, I'm a gay woman, but I'm not just a gay woman. I don't want that to define me. I'm I'm far I'm far more than that, but 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 it is still a fundamental part of me. And so I need to be able to talk about it. Um, and so I think finally I can. And I think it's great that you are. And I appreciate the fact that you're willing to share your story. And, and um, because I think that's the way that we support other people um, sharing their story. And I, I just want to finish with one quick question. What advice would you give the, let me think back and do the calculation, about the 24, 25-year-old you that was struggling with this inner turmoil uh, about their authenticity? It's an interesting one. There's a part of me that would say to her, don't join the Navy. <laughs> don't, don't join an organisation that makes you hide who you are. 
I think there is, yeah, I think there is, and that would change my life completely. So. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier, different directions, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And if they were in the Navy, because that was the, you know, you joined the Navy because you had a choice and that was a passion or interest that you suddenly found and thought, hey, let's go do it. And if you're in there and you're still in turmoil, what advice would you give them? I think, uh, I mean, probably it, it gets better. You know, I think that that would just provide some hope to her, I think. Cool. And it, it gets better and you can now join the Navy because uh, at least in the in most of the world, it's okay uh, uh, to be that way. But in some of the world, it still isn't. Well, that, and that's the thing. And, you know, and I think those battles are, are not yet won. But every, every time the I'm, I talked about rainbow washing and, and how we mustn't just pay lip service to it. But at the same time, if if there's a a pride march which when we had pride march in wellington in the capital of new zealand um and all of the all of the senior leadership from the new zealand defense force were there in their uniform marching alongside us that's pretty powerful that's a big message yeah it's a it's powerful to the people within the organization but actually it's a message it is a message to other countries that look the world hasn't fallen down around our ears just because yeah. we've accepted this group of people. Um, and, and all of those messages are really important, I think, to those to those countries, perhaps, who have not yet recognised the importance of, of their diverse population. Which is a call out to the allies to stand up and be allies. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. Cool. Hey, Vaughn, thanks once again for spending some time across... 16 hour gap or whatever we're on now and getting up early to do this uh, yeah. and have this chat with me. Uh, have a great rest of the day, but thank you for sharing your story. No, no worries at all. Great to have a chat. Yeah, good to see you. Take care. Well, that was Von Gray and uh, wonderful to see her this time. For those that uh, are regular followers, you remember that we didn't have video last time, so it was great to see her and some great points about uh, the challenges of that her journey and her leadership journey and also what we could all be more conscious of as we lead and supervise and, and guide others in our world to be more just more open and accepting of wherever people are at. So I really appreciate Vaughn taking the time to do that. As you'll hear in the outro shortly, there's a chapter 10 of what great teams do great is, uh, is now completed. And this is the problem when you write a book and then in, within 12 months, you've written two extra chapters for the, the book. Uh, if you've got What Great Teams Do Great, then thank you very much. It's back there on the shelf. Uh, if you haven't, then please go out and, and support the podcast by purchasing it. And as a gift to you, Chapter 9 is available from the humanity.com website. And that is a supplement on What Great Teams Do Great, Race and Power, uh, that we had some help in, in writing last summer. And then just recently, we've finished Chapter 10, which is all about What Great Teams Do Great in a Virtual World. And if you want to send me a note, I'll gladly send you a copy of that. It's PDF form, so we'll absolutely shoot it out to you. But send me a note, david at humanity.com. We'll see what we can do to get that to you. Thanks very much. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. And my name is David Wheatley. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by the book, What Great Teams Do Great, available at all good bookstores and Amazon as well. And uh, if you are interested in what great teams do great and how that plays into the virtual world, you send me a note, david at humanity.com, and I will send you our 10th chapter of our eight-chapter book, 
which is all about virtual teams and how virtual teams can be great too. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. Stay healthy.